0: Our message today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Hear these words. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes, people, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessed, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, These are those who have come out of a great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: You know, there are some things in this world that are difficult to understand. Sometimes I think scripture is like that, and then there are times that I see it hit home. And I realize that it can be difficult, but it can also be very real. You know, there are things that are tough to understand because you haven't yet experienced them. Uh, For me, that was becoming a parent. I didn't fully get it. And I, see, I saw nods all over the place instantly. As soon as I said that, kind of a little bit of a shaking head, um, I had an inkling that it was going to completely change my life. But I, I didn't grasp that for real until, well, I saw her in the little incubator and I wept, wept, saying, I love you so much. Welcome to this world. And everything inside of me was like, what do I do now? (laughs) Now, some of you, uh, some things are difficult to understand, not because you haven't experienced them, but some of them are because you actually have experienced it before. But you're kind of far removed from that experience. And so it doesn't doesn't hit the same as it did. Uh, Maybe if some of you have a very large family, uh, this has happened to you. If you've uh, had you know, your fifth or your sixth child, you're like, well, it's, not, it's, still, it's still impactful, but it's not the same as when you had your first. I don't know. Maybe I, I, don't, I only have two. So <laughs> both of them were powerful <laughs> experiences for me. But what a good illustration of this is often the first heartbreak that a child experiences. For you uh, who are children and you have experienced your first heartbreak recently or have very close yet to... Um, It's real, and it's raw, and it hurts a lot. But if you're a parent, very often your first instinct is to go, it'll be fine. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Now, that's true. It will be okay. It is not the end of the world. But in that moment, to that child, to that person, it is for their first experience like that. Sometimes we're so far removed from the experience that we don't remember what it was like to actually be in that moment. The third kind of things that don't make sense are the broken sense of things that you're currently going through. So this doesn't make sense because I'm in the midst of it. These are are painful things. These are things that don't really have an, an end in sight. We want them to be over. And maybe we know, like, maybe it'll be okay when it's over, but I can't really see that right now. It could be a broken marriage. It could be the loss of a job. It could be being in the midst of a global pandemic. It could be the loss of a loved one. Today is All Saints Day. So I wonder, uh, in this room, I imagine there are few people that feel one or more of these nonsensical experiences. Our, our passage today that was just read by Kitty, thank you, is actually a really good way to talk about this. So first off, we're in the book of Revelation. Now that book is chock full of something called eschatology. Eschatology is a fancy word, one of those, uh, th- one of those seminary words. That means, it's a fancy way of saying the theology of what is to come. The theology of the end. A little bit of uh, background: Revelation, as a book, is a genre of literature, just like mystery or science fiction or uh, nonfiction, whatever it may be. Uh, Revelation is a genre called apocalyptic literature. Uh, now if you've been, you know, listening and using your word clues, uh, apocalypse usually to you means the end, something catastrophic, something that's finishing. The world is ending, but. Apocalyptic, in this case, doesn't necessarily mean the exact same thing as it does now. Apocalyptic literature was actually written to a specific people at a specific time, in a specific place, and for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to acknowledge the current realities of the audience's world and offer an option of hope. The world to which this letter was written uh, was the churches of Asia Minor and the uh, near the Near East and the uh, sometimes a little bit into the European world. So the churches that this was written to was written to people who were experiencing persecution by Rome. These were Christians, people who followed and loved Jesus and said, "Like Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Master." And Rome, who was like, hey, we're kind of in charge here, so why are you trying to follow someone else, wasn't really a big fan of that, uh, to put it lightly. And so they hunted down and they killed Christians for that specific reason. Uh, It was not great. (laughs) The Christians were not super happy about that. Yet at the same time, what they were is they were persistent and they persevered. Clearly they did persevere because it's still around today here we are. So this book was written to those people experiencing persecution and pain and suffering. And what the purpose of writing this to is to say, look, it's going to be okay. There is going to be a world that is different soon. You can make it. You can persevere. So in that context, we have this individual story, this story that recalls a multitude of of those clothed in white, who are glorifying God? And the writer, the person who's writing this imaginative story, is saying, uh, is is asked this question: Who are these people? Now, okay, here's the first nonsensical thing that comes up. The author looks at the person who asked him this question and goes, <laughs> uh, "Why are you asking me? I just got here." You are the one who's like stuck around in here for a while. So like, I don't really get why you're asking me this question. He's kind of like, what you talk about, Willis? Like, why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. This is that I've never experienced this kind of before. That's the kind of thing that doesn't make sense that I talked about in the beginning. I don't get it. The author is then answered. So after he's like, I don't know, I've never, I've never seen this before. He then answers by saying, by being told, this is a multitude of every tribe, every tongue, every nation of those who have experienced a great ordeal, a a, a tribulation, some say, a trial, something tremendously difficult. If you could imagine with me suffering of a great deal, I imagine the first thing that you would put in your mind is something you've Experienced before something that maybe you're experiencing right now, however, this recollection might not make sense for a multitude of reasons. One, we might be going through them, we might be so far removed from that experience that it doesn't, we can't really put it all into our mind, and we are forgetting certain details about it, or maybe we just haven't experienced something so great yet. Those of us who are younger in here might not have fully experienced something like that. Come to think of it, there is a lot in this passage that just is, I don't know, there's a lot of context to it, and so it doesn't all really make a whole lot of sense. And I mean, we use the context of All Saints Day to understand this passage. We, okay, we look at the great uh, multitude of those clothed in white, and we think, okay, well, those are those who have gone on before us. But, but still, even that is really hard to grasp, because we still only think about those who we know who have gone on before us, and we can maybe even see their faces in that multitude. But remember, this is a multitude. This isn't like 20 people. This isn't a hundred people. This isn't even a hundred thousand people. This is a massive amount of people from all across all walks of life from all across all situations and sometimes that just doesn't compute to us because we see faces that we know still see this is what's weird to me a few years ago i lost my father to cancer Um, if i said my relationship with my father was complicated that'd be an understatement. (laughs) Uh, Every All Saints Day from then to now, I've always had these questions, and when I thought of the great multitude, I might have had difficulty finding his face in that multitude. It didn't make sense. Where where did he go? What what was he doing? I've known the scripture passage for quite some time. I've, I've grown up reading the Bible. I've heard this story many times before, and I could yet I could still not come to a solid understanding on my own dad. Uh, How could I? Why was I expecting to have all the answers? Uh, Death, suffering, pain, these things don't really have good answers that leave us in a place of certainty. The writer of Revelation doesn't offer answers to the people who are in pain in the book of Revelation. And that, frankly, stinks. (laughs) I want answers. I want to know there's a reason for all of this. But what the author of Revelation does offer is the good news of God's transformation. The three kinds of senselessness that I talked about, the senselessness from lack of experience, the senselessness that comes from being too far removed from an ideal, the senselessness that comes from being able unable to see the end of whatever you're in the middle of right now. If you're anything like me, you want God to turn these senseless things into something that we can manage. Because, like, we've got, we kind of got a lot going on here, God. We have We have a job to do. We have people that we love to take care of. We don't really have time for all this hurt and suffering. So, like, Let's get on with it. Instead, God takes those senseless things and transforms them. God transforms a lack of experience into hope. God transforms being removed from an experience into justification. And God transforms being unable to see the end of the trial into comfort. Let me explain. The first part of the passage talks about this multitude in which everyone from all walks of life have gathered together. These saints are not just the loved ones that we know from across the street. No, they're across the world. Those who've loved God and their neighbor across the world from all time, going back thousands and thousands of years. When we are unable to make sense of something because we've never really experienced it for ourselves, there is a tremendous amount of hope in that kind of inclusion. God's love wraps the whole globe. So, through these people, these saints, who we don't really know because they're multitudinous, we can't know everybody in it, those who stand in front of God and they worship God even though they've been through tremendous pain. We can get a sense that the worship we display is like those who've gone on before us. So in the midst of a lack of experience, God gives hope that when those experiences do arrive, we'll still arrive on the other side praising God. The second part of the passage talks a little about being removed from an experience Certainly, the author of the passage knows what it means like to hurt. I mean, (laughs) he's been exiled to an, an island, so at least the author knows what suffering is like to a certain extent. Yet, in verse 13 and 14, when he's asked, the author doesn't know who the multitudinous people in white robes are. It's almost as if, I wonder, I wonder if the author has forgotten what the faces of those who've suffered look like. The author is unable to make sense of who they are, Because it's so difficult to do so when your perspective is vastly different. I know I've suffered, but I don't really know what other people's suffering is like because I only really have my own experiences, and it's hard to step out of that and feel empathy sometimes. But the author has seen Jesus and has been transported to this vision. So the author, in a sense, has actually given a brand new vision, a a brand new perspective, and can't see those who have suffered. The justice for those who have suffered is their ability to live in harmony together, which they strove to do from the time that they said, I'm all in on this God thing. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to be there. When we commit to be Christians, followers of Christ, we commit to live harmoniously with each other, to be one in our faith and in our love. The sustaining love of God has surrounded these robed folk, and in that love there is power, greater power than the ordeals of this life can throw at us. God takes the senselessness of being removed from trials by justifying them and saying, I will take this situation that you have been in, and I will give those in it and who come out of it a powerful love for those who have endured in my name. The justification of suffering is done only through the grace and love of God. Thus, God's love and grace ought to be shown to all who are suffering, no matter how trivial it may seem to us. And the third part of the passage talks about a God who wipes away tears and eliminates mourning. Now there are some of you, many of you in this room, you're feeling that mourning now. You're in the middle of that great suffering, that hurt. You're feeling the lack of sense that comes with great loss and with grief. This can feel soul-sucking, emptying. Often the question, where are you, God, comes during this stage. The reason we seem unable to find God can sometimes be where we're looking. We often try to see God in the miraculous, to take the suffering and grief away altogether. Just remove it. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want this to be happening anymore. I don't want any of this. But that's not God's way. God's way is to sit with the sufferer. To wipe away the tears as they are cried, not because they're bad, but because they're good. Because the wiping away of tears is a sign of God's love. The hunger and thirst is slated because God feeds our needs in each moment. Not necessarily 20 years down the road, 10 years down the road, after all the healing is over, but in each moment. God is giving us what we need. This God who comforts us in the midst of our suffering does not remove it. God shares in it and holds us close. And we see this. We see this in our church family who wrap us in love as we hurt, who hold us close as we suffer, and who hug us when we are weeping. Upcoming in the next few weeks, we're going to have a series on healing. I think it's very appropriate to do right after All Saints Day. Uh, Pastor Peter and Pastor Josh are going to be offering us an understanding of three different kinds of healing. And we're going to be talking about what it means to grow after a tremendous trial. I can testify to what that is and what that looks like not exactly been an e- the easiest year of my life for me. But I know where God is working. And I know where our pastors have been caring and kind. And I encourage you to join us for that experience, so that they can lead us through that as well. The reality is, God's transformation doesn't make the trials and ordeals and the suffering make sense. It makes them passable. If suffering is a universal experience, then either we haven't suffered yet, are suffering now, or we'll be able to look back on our own suffering with a curious eye. And yet on this All Saints Day, we have to ask where God is transforming us. Is God filling you with hope? Is God comforting you in the midst of of your suffering? Or are you to look on others with love and grace because of the suffering you've experienced? (laughs) The answer, my friends, is yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.